Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Today is Dan Farnow. He's written a book called The Quest for Marriage. He said that it is an offbeat and unorthodox relationship book. That sounds like quite a mouthful and very interested to see what he has to say. This is a practical step-by-step guide to be better equipped on your quest for marriage. And this is written from a man's perspective. So I'm really interested in this because I think most of these types of books are written for women. So this is going to be very interesting. Now, he also says that this is a no-holds-barred, straightforward book, and we want to hear about it. In Dan's early years, he suffered much emotional abuse, major depression, suicidal tendencies, and also resorted to cutting himself, which I know is something that is usually done in secret because you are hurting so deeply. And this went on until he was 22 years old. And then he had a life-changing experience, which he's going to share. Today, it is Dan's mission to teach people how to not only survive all the rejection and all the abandonment issues, that many people have, but to also how to turn your situation around. So I'm very happy to have Dan with me today. Welcome. Thank you, Carol. So let's start, Dan, with where did it start? I think that um, a lot of your pain was in your childhood. So let's start there and just share share your journey and what and why you had these issues, etc. If you would please. Sure. Well, I did grow up in a home where my mother and father actually did not get along well, and I actually did not get along well with my mother, and I did get nervous a lot around my dad growing up, and my sister was always an outgoing person and always had friends, and I was not an outgoing person, so I was kind of on my own a lot as a child, and then um, even when there were times where I just lived alone with my mother, it felt like I was really living in a war zone, and I always considered home a place where I had to protect myself, but it was never a place of just um, relaxation. Wow. That must have been tough. Yes. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no. No problem. I like the feedback. <laughs> I didn't want to interrupt you, so keep going. <laughs> I always joke because I okay. prefer writing because I can revise it all I want before people look at it, but with interviews, I can't do that. <laughs> I'm more of the introverted type. <laughs> Don't worry about that. I'll bring it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah, you, yeah, were, um, you were living with your mom, and this what you had said that I had responded to was that it was um, 
now I'm now I lost my train of thought. Oh gosh. <laughs> we're in a great we're in great shape. No, that's what makes it interesting, right? Yeah. Well, I can share more. Well, anyway, think... you're always having to protect yourself. You're always having to look out for yourself, which is yeah. not what a child should have to do. A child, what you're trying to say, I'm reading between the lines, is that a child should feel protected. So let's take it from there. Keep going. Okay, so I did not feel protected, and I felt like I always had to defend myself, especially among my mother. My parents divorced when I was a young teenager, um, but they were separate before that, or separated. And then I know during the divorce, I know it was really traumatic, um, especially my mother, and I know my mom wanted me to live with my dad. My dad thought I'd be better off with my mom, so it's always the parents finding custody for the child, but I had the reverse. And then I know I didn't have good... Um, social skills and since I'm the introverted type um, it was really difficult for me to build relationships with people so that was a lot harder and I think that's when I started resorting to major depression and then even towards um, self-destructive behavior and suicidal thoughts and there were times where I did come close to that too. Let's back up a little bit. You know, sure. you, re- you referred a couple times to being an uh, introverted personality. Do yes. you believe that that was part of your environment, or do you believe you were born an introvert? I don't really have that answer. But what's interesting is I'm the type I like to study a lot, and I found that introverts and extroverts have very different qualities, where extroverts can be really outgoing. Um, that's the strength of extroverts, but I realize there's introverts that have strengths that extroverts do not have. Such and, as? Oh, I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> I haven't read this book in a while, but it's called Quiet Influence, and I love it. Oh, well, introverts are more comfortable thinking up ideas alone, while extroverts try to think up of ideas around other people. So, for example, at office meetings, it would drive me nuts where people were always in- interrupting each other to think of ideas and for me it's like just let someone else have the floor and just do all the talking and then let's just take turns and I was just realizing extroverts are more comfortable interrupting each other while introverts would rather um, just um, figure out ideas on their own without people so let's let's talk about that then if how does an introvert then get his point across like you must I mean that was an very well put analogy and very easy to understand and I never really thought about that before so how does an introvert then put himself forward writing books okay fair (laughs) enough so it's from a different platform in other words exactly and actually introverts are really good about using social media or using blogs or using writing to get ideas across or just using the power of the pen Whereas extroverts may not have the patience to do something like that. They always have to be around other people to do their thinking. Very well put. So instead, I'm just thinking, okay, well, let's just focus on where I am strong as an introvert instead of um, where I'm not strong. And I know even in the first church I was a part of, most of the people in that church were extroverts, and they were always wanting to be in group environments, and I... Never did well in that kind of environment, but I always did well in one-on-one environments, and I just wish there had been more awareness of introverts and kind of our tendencies. So how do you create that awareness? Like, that that really is a whole different subject than what, you know, I had intended about talking oh, yes. about today, but I think this is 
oh, very sure. important. You know, so how does I'm an extrovert? How and I always try to draw things out of people because I like the underdog. You know, and I, in a way, I guess the un- introvert can be thought of as an underdog because they're not saying anything. Is that is that? Oh well, yes, I relate yes. to that. Okay. Well, so, actually, it's because of what I went through that I think helped me be a very effective group leader now in the ministry I'm a part of. Because in the former ministry as a part of, in those uh, midweek groups, there would usually just be one person doing the teaching, and I felt like I never really had a voice or my opinion wasn't asked of very much. Even when praying for people, I didn't really get opportunities. And because of that, now that I lead groups, I allow other people to talk. I allow other people to have equal participation and I have no problem asking people for quiet to participate. And I believe in treating everyone equally because I think they all have very important things to say and they have areas of expertise that I don't have. Still waters run deep. I'm sure you've heard that expression. Do you, have you? Actually, no. Oh, you haven't. Okay. What that means, and it's the expression's probably a lot older than you are. Maybe that's why. Still, oh, <laughs> still waters run deep. Basically means that someone who is quiet is thinking deeper. I can relate to that. Okay, so as you're saying that, I think that's a good title. I'll ask you, that's a good title for your next book. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Will you write it for me too? <laughs> no. <laughs> I haven't had the problem. I'm just the opposite, you see. <laughs> anyway, <Okay>. so, <laughs> so back up now. Um, that was very good, and I appreciate you bringing that up and I and the little bit that we did chat about it because uh, – like I said, I always feel for the people who who don't seem to get an opportunity to share, which is one of the reasons why I want to interview is because everybody has a story. Everybody has ideas and thoughts, and we need to bring those out. So thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. Well, that was yeah, excellent. Well, you made me a great leader because I think I know the feedback I've gotten is I'm always the type that goes to my own beat. I don't necessarily go to everybody else's beat and the way I run my group. I always try to get feedback to understand what does the group need, and I always try to use material that the group needs. And if there's someone in the group that has an issue that I don't relate to, because, for example, someone's like, hey, well, I've been through this circumstance. Um, You don't know what it's like to have a spouse unfaithful to you. And I'll say, you know what? You're absolutely right. Well, I want to bring in somebody who has been through that. Right. Right. Because my goal is that, the people in my group get the ministry they need. It may not always need to be from me, and sometimes there's someone better to do it. It's like basketball. Sometimes it's better to pass the ball instead of trying to score every time. That's right. Absolutely. Another good analogy. So back to your childhood now. The, um, The question that I had originally asked you was, were you born an introvert or was that because of all the rejection? And basically you answered that. So let's now talk about the rejection that you felt and how it affected you and what your coping skills were as a young boy to get through that. Well, before I became a Christian, my coping skills were not very good. And there were times where I tried to reach out to people and be open about who I was and what I was going through and I learned that it actually did not rub people the right way and that a lot of people were kind of scared or intimidated by it and then usually people would just walk away and I'd feel 
even all the more abandoned. Aww. So then I decided that, okay, I'm just going to close myself off to everyone and kind of gave up on people. And then um, during my last year of college, that's when I came to know Christ, where someone really challenged me on the Bible. Um, the backdrop is I had actually written opinion articles for my school paper, and there was someone on campus um, preaching the gospel in a not-so-respectful way. And I wrote an article backing Christianity, actually, and then somebody challenged me on campus to talk to him one-on-one without insults, and I have no problem standing behind what I say. But it did take them about a year to show me evidence for a god. And since I was more of the atheist point of view, when I saw strong evidence for a god, I was thinking, okay, this heaven-hell thing is real. Okay, and I know where I'm heading. And then also just even the proposal that if I give my life to Christ, that he can make my life better. And I figured I had nothing to lose. So that's why I decided to go for it. And, of course, it hasn't been easy, but I realized that I'm getting somewhere now. And I've, of course, changed immensely. You're very right, and I appreciate you saying that it, it isn't necessarily a bed of roses. Definitely not. But you have you have a support system, and you have an eternal father who loves you and cares for you and will always be there for you, and that's what you go with. That's the assurance that you have. You know, even if you're going through hell, he's there with you. And is that basically what you were, what you became to realize? Yeah, well, I kind of consider it more boot camp. There was actually someone in my group who spent decades in the Navy, and I actually asked him to teach on it. So he shared details about what it was like to go through a boot camp in the military. And basically what they do there is they make you go through all these things to completely die to your individuality, die to yourself, where you just feel that you're absolutely nothing and is completely humbled. And then once you feel like you're absolutely nothing, they then rebuild you in their way. And they rebuild you to look out for each other and leave no man behind. And this is very biblical. And we see through many of the biblical characters, God puts them through a sort of boot camp. Like Joseph is a big example, where he had to be very humbled. And, you know, Paul, Jesus, Abraham, you see them all go through that, where God basically humbles them and then he rebuilds them in his way. So when I tell people, um, when they tell me that they're going through difficult circumstances, they wonder, where's God? Then all I can say, well, here's what God did in all their lives. How are you any different? And? <clears throat> and what is their response? That they usually don't think about it that way. I mean, even I did a whole lesson on suffering, because the big question is, with a loving God, why is there suffering? I struggled with that. And I decided, hey, well, let's really talk about this. What would life be like if we never suffered when we became a Christian? And the first thing I was thinking first is that, okay, yes, I think many people would come to God, but they wouldn't come to God because they love him. They would just want all the benefits. That's like somebody marrying a man who's really rich just because of what he is, not because of who he is. Another good analogy. <laughs> And then another thing, too, is let's say, imagine, um, do you have children? Yes. Okay, imagine if your children at age two give their lives to Christ, and then they can never suffer. So whenever they do something to mess up, you can never give them consequences. God says, oh, sorry, they can't suffer, remember, so you can't give them consequences. 
So, and a lot of times consequences or even some kind of suffering teaches us lessons that we need to learn. Absolutely, which is what I said uh, initially when that uh, no matter what we go through, we know that our Heavenly Father is there. You know, He will take us through. We're not walking through a bed of roses, but yeah. whatever whatever hits us in life. Let's say you know, two we, big we, things. I'd say the key things. Oh, I'm sorry if I interrupted. No, no, no. That's fine. Go ahead. Shoot, I just lost my track of thought now. <laughs> the two big things. Yes. Um, is first, it provokes us to action. Because if we're not going through any kind of suffering, then we're never motivated to change. We're never motivated to do something different. I mean, keep in mind, is if we need to have something to eat, we're not going to be motivated if we're not hungry. And then the other thing is, we would really have a heart for, or we wouldn't have a heart for people if we didn't suffer as Christians. Uh, if you don't mind me asking, what's something significant you've suffered through in your life? Well, this is basically what my book is about, my memoir, and this is exactly what I have. Just one simple thing. Cancer. Okay. Now, if there's somebody you didn't even know who was going through cancer, would you hesitate to be there for that person? Well, of course, you know, that, that that's all part of it. You have empathy because you've been through it. Exactly. Absolutely. And you're there yes. for support. Yeah, so if we as Christians are suffering through things and then we see someone who's not saved go through that, we would instantly have a heart to go and be there for that person. And that could get that person saved. Like I could think of an example of parents who, Christian parents who lost their child and went through a lot of suffering through it, of course, which, of course, I'll, I can't relate to. But then they were able to go and reach out to other parents who have lost children, even brought many of them to the Lord. And the Lord's really focusing on eternity, not our comfort zone, because our suffering can bring other people to the Lord. And if they're there for eternity because of our suffering, wouldn't it be worth it? So give me the bottom line of what you're saying about I started to ask you about rejection. And oh, okay. It's, it's, so gone, rejection. it's gone to this direction. So what is the bottom line of what you're saying of what you have learned through um, what you have suffered? And are we, are we talking about um, before you were 22 years old or are you talking about after? Well, after it wasn't easy just being around people who are extroverts and people who I don't think could really relate to me. So now I have the heart all the more when there's someone who's a part of my church, which is significantly bigger. Um, I've seen these people who have been through that or going through it, and I have a heart to go to those people and help them out so they can grow in ways much quicker than I have the opportunity to do. Okay, fair enough. So... Um, let's talk about your book. Certainly. This sound, you know, very intrigued by the title, The Quest for Marriage, the fact that it was written by a man, and tell us about it. You said it was a step-by-step -step guide. Yes. Well, I've, in my opinion, guys are very just simple, practical when it comes to things like this. They're like, okay, what's the task? How do I do it? Okay. Yeah, and all the books I saw out there, when I was looking for a relationship, were written by pastors or therapists, and they were always just talking about the ideal standards of a relationship. But I never really saw them share their own stories, and 
just even, okay, well, what about practical challenges, like even learning to communicate with the opposite sex? Because that's very different than communicating with the same sex. Or even how do I go about finding a ring? How do I build with somebody else's family? And just even those simple practical obstacles. I didn't see me much talk about that. And in my former ministry, they actually um, placed a lot of, well, legalistic practices where they were saying that a man and woman cannot spend time alone together ever unless they're in a relationship. So when guys were trying to go for a relationship, they had to go through the pastor and basically take a stab in the dark. And then I noticed all the books out there are more woman-friendly and not guy-friendly. And I never saw any of the authors share their own stories. And I'm thinking, it's like, okay, well, nobody's perfect in a relationship. Um, Does everything go right? It certainly doesn't. So I decided, hey, I'm going to share my own story. And I'm going to share about my victories, even my defeats, and even stupid, embarrassing things I do. And have done, and I thought that would make it a lot more humorous. And then, of course, um, saying that, hey, nothing's off limits. Like, let's talk about what really happens in a relationship. Like, for example, they say, or forgive me, I'm trying to get my thoughts together. That's quite all right. Well, to put it bluntly, um, it seems like the church, they don't talk much about sex, and that's something guys think about just to be blunt and something i say well humorously is that many guys think that who struggle with lust that wants to get married they're never going to have an issue with lust again and i was basically explaining that that's not true i've never heard a married man say he doesn't struggle with lust and then i practically point out things that they're going to come to realize when they're married good excellent like I say bluntly that, hey, you're, for starters, you're going to see your wife all the time without makeup. <laughs> and that she's probably not going to hesitate to have gas around you. You're going to know about her bodily function issues that she has, including her monthly period. Her body's going to change when she gets pregnant. And when she gets older, some body parts are going to start sagging and she's going to start getting gray hairs. I hope you get the picture. And then also even sharing a book or a chapter about sex and reality that it's not like the movies at all. And that basically a wife is not going to be like these fantasy women that you see in the movies. What kind of reaction have you had to, to the book? Actually, many women have been reading the book and loved it. And that's actually shocked me because I meant it to be for guys. <laughs> simple, practical in the guy's language, but... Women want to read it, and when I ask why, they say, well, we want to know what a guy's thinking. That's good. So you're, you are addressing both sides. That's wonderful. Oh, absolutely. And do you do any, besides what you're doing in your own church group, et cetera, do you do any public speaking? Do you hold any seminars? Have you done anything on the Internet? Like, what else are you doing in this, in this venue? Let's see. I'm just learning to do some blogging, so I've just been doing a little of it, but not very much, just more on public forums. And I don't really do public speaking. That's not my forte. I know my wife keeps telling me to go to a Toastmasters so I can learn to be a better speaker. I've done some radio interviews, and I've gotten much better at interviewing, actually. (laughs) (laughs) But at first, it mortified me. 
So the so introverted... I'm still working to just speaking to a whole group, but I'm always better doing individual ministry. The one-on-one. Exactly. And even when counseling, I've learned instead of preaching to people, it's better to actually ask questions to let the other person do their own reasoning. Because if I'm just telling them what to do, number one, that's kind of crossing the line uh, just with boundaries. And number two, it's like me doing a workout and expecting someone else to get stronger. That's right. That's right. You just come up with all these analogies that are just excellent. I'm a big reader. And (laughs) I'm the type I always love to be learning. And another reason in my group, I like to bring in guest speakers or let other people teach. Then I can keep learning. That's right. Because my knowledge is very limited. I learn that the older I get. Well, one of the things that comes across, too, in speaking with you is your attitude. And attitude speaks volumes. And people pick up on that very quickly. And when you have an attitude of empathy and sympathy and understanding and that you have been where they have been, um, people relate to that. And they appreciate that. So that comes across loud and clear. I'm, I'm assuming it comes across in your book as well. Yes, I would hope so. I can't say I'm the best judge of it. <laughs> <laughs> so what else would you like to discuss? Anything that you, else you would like to share or encourage in well, any, in any I would, area? I guess what I would want to encourage people is when you're trying out a relationship, it's not going to be perfect. I mean, people are going to make mistakes. I know even just especially from the church's point of view or even Christian books point of view that Things like the proposal is supposed to be just this big euphoric event when, in reality, things go wrong. Like with my case, my wife and I had a meltdown before I proposed to her. (laughs) (laughs) And even just with the first conversation, you want to sound all prim and proper, but my wife and I ended up talking about bodily functions since she was a nurse and I used to take care of abused children. So we talked about things we've had to clean up. Oh, that's funny. And I'm thinking, okay, I acted too much like myself. (laughs) So it kind of gives people permission to make mistakes. And as humans, being new to relationships, you're going to make mistakes. And um, even one starting relationship, especially for the first time, chances are it may not be the right person. And instead of just thinking, okay, I'm rejected, instead it's, okay, I'm learning lessons through this. Again, your attitude. Your attitude exactly, because you know, I even wrote about how I tried a relationship, and it did not work out well. Right. You take the negative, and you can turn it into a positive strictly by how you approach it. Exactly. Very uh, good. Yeah, things that don't work out or failures, they come our way. Like, for everybody, nobody's exempt from it. It's just those who are successful actually make the choice to actually reflect and learn from it and keep moving Compared and the ones who aren't successful end up making the same mistakes over and over again. Okay, well, you said a lot in a very short period of time, okay. and and um, you know, giving us some food for thought, some things that um, I would like you, if you would please, for my listeners in particular, is maybe shoot me an email with some of these analogies that you made, some of these thoughts that I'd like to put onto your webpage when I do it up for this broadcast. Uh, You said some, you know, some things that I couldn't write fast enough. So that Um, would be great. Actually, one more thing I'd like to share. Sure, There you go. Absolutely. Actually, because I know a lot of your listeners are really trying to recover from hurts or obstacles. And a big thing I've learned 
especially for mood therapy, is that it's Luke 11.34 that says that the eyes are the lamp of your body. And if your eyes are healthy, your body will be healthy. But if your eyes are not healthy, your whole body will not be healthy. What it's saying is just even the way we perceive events um, can lead to our moods. And that can affect us physically, spiritually, and emotionally. And what I was reading is what happens is events happen in this world. Some are neutral, some are positive, some are not positive. And then what happens is we have thoughts to interpret those events. And then it's those thoughts that determine our mood. That's right. That's a good summary. Yes, you... and I know we were doing a whole thing in group. I know this person won't mind me sharing it, but there was one woman, she was just physically exhausted, and she was having a really rough day. And I was asking her, hey, what kind of thoughts have been going through your head? And they were all negative thoughts. And then I was saying, hey, well, that event happened a couple weeks ago. That was so amazing. Tell us about that. And then as she was talking about it, she ended up having a good mood, and then suddenly she had energy because emotions actually do release hormones in our body right. that either give or take away energy. And then as uh, so everyone in the group, like, who saw her get energy and get in a good mood? And everyone saw it. So um, we're going to be doing a series on trying to tackle some of the uh, biggest obstacles that lead us to not having good moods, such as all or nothing thinking. Like thinking, okay, I, I can only be happy if 100% of things are going well even though that's not a realistic standard. Right, right. How often does that happen? Never. Right. <laughs> and, exactly. yet, and yet a but lot of people can lie and say, well. oh, well, this thing's not going right in your life. And it's like, <laughs> yes, but what he doesn't say is that that happens with everybody. Exactly. All right. Well, I thank you so much, Dan, for being a guest today. And I will have me. all your uh, contact information and your book, I'm assuming, is on Amazon. Yes, ma'am. Okay, so we will have all that information there. And like I said, if you can you can share those those little tidbits, that would be great. And I'll put them on your webpage. And we look forward to seeing good things from Dan Farno. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much and have a good day. Same to you. Right, Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.